0: Well, I am Brent Feldman, and uh, I am one of the partners at Matchbox Design Group, and today I would like to welcome Matt Rathel. He is the owner of Graphite Labs, a full-service game development studio uh, based out of St. Louis, Missouri, and I would like to give you a big, warm welcome and an introduction, Matt.
1: Thanks. Uh, it's awesome to, to be on the, the podcast. It's, it's good to get reconnected.
0: Cool. Yeah, definitely. Good to see you. Matt and I have actually known each other for years, over 10 years. And we met each other. Yeah, definitely. uh, You know, kind of when we were just starting our agencies or very early on in our career. And uh, and it's been really cool to see where Matt, you've come with everything. And uh, yeah, looking forward to talking to you today.
1: Yeah, likewise. Um, Yeah, 10 years. It's it's it seems like a long time and it seems like yesterday. You probably hear that a lot.
0: Oh, totally. Exactly. I know when people say things like, Oh, it's been 10 years. I'm like, really? That seems crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I'm super excited about some of the questions because actually, these are things that maybe I don't actually even know myself. So some of them are going to be, yeah, uh, really interesting for me to learn about you. So anyway, uh, the the first one is really just a, a baseline one of how did you get started in the industry? Oh, so I started in the industry as an artist. I mean, currently I I own
1: and operate a studio, which was never really my intention. Um, I went to school for computer animation uh, down in Springfield, Missouri, which was uh, Southwest Missouri State University at the time. Um, And I always wanted to get into video game development, but there weren't any real programs in Missouri, not very many in the Midwest that could, uh, you know, give me a path into the industry. I, uh, I attempted computer science for about a semester. Um, I realized very quickly that math, uh, complicated math was not for me, um, but I've always been an artist. And so uh, going to what is now Missouri State for computer animation was kind of the, the first step in my journey. Um, and when I was there, I literally was working late in the animation lab and there was one of those flyers on the wall. That, you know, if, if you're if you're my age, if you are born in the 80s, went to college in the 90s, you know, people would have these bulletin boards and they'd sell computers and cars and look for roommates and all that kind of stuff. And there was literally a physical bulletin board with a flyer up that said, we're looking for animators to join our video game development company here in Springfield. And I looked at it and I said, well, Springfield, Missouri, like this is a very small town. There's no video game development here. Well, um,
0: Missouri, it's not the biggest hub for video games in the US.
1: <laughs> I mean, it is now, of course, but, you know, back then. Uh, yeah, right. So um, uh, I, but this voice went off in my head and I hope that <clears throat> for anyone listening, sometimes this happens to you too, of like, what have I got to lose? Let's try it, right? Let's not like turn the idea off before you even give it a shot. And so sure enough, um, you know, I contacted the group and while they were new, um, they, their founders had previously done some tech software development, kind of startup style stuff, and were very successful, but didn't want to work in the kind of the boring software industry. They wanted to to do something more exciting, and so games was their venture. Uh, So I connected with them. Um, I ended up getting that position, and I started in the industry as a 3D modeler, uh, making uh, props for like tycoon style PC games. So if you can remember games like Goodness, Roller Coaster Tycoon and Mall Tycoon and Prison Tycoon and all the tycoon games. They needed somebody to make all the various 3D models and props and plants and, you know, uh, structures and buildings. And I was that guy. So that was my first job in the industry. uh, And I started in 2004.
0: That's awesome. What, What kind of software were you using to do those 3D models back in the day? So we I was trained in a software called Lightwave.
1: Um, but the studio had picked up Maya, which is still very popular today. Um, so I had to basically learn Maya, you know, in the span of a week to really get up to speed before I started. Um, and then for about six months, we used Maya before some of our contracts and partnerships uh, demanded 3D Studio Max. Okay. Um, so 3D Studio Max, now it's all owned by Autodesk. So um, uh, essentially, um, it, 3D Studio Max is the, the go-to for us these days.
0: That's awesome. Uh, All right. And I'm curious, what what is the weirdest prop you think you had uh, had been commissioned to design?
1: (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, that very first project, we were building a tycoon game that was all about building a nightclub, um, which seems like a fair idea, right? Build a nightclub, create bars and dance floors and neon lights and all this kind of stuff. But the first object I remember actually putting into the playable game uh, was a beer keg, which, uh, you know, coming out of college right into my first job modeling beer kegs, you know, it wasn't like a, I didn't have to go collect a lot of reference to make that model. Um, but, uh, but yeah, making that keg and putting that in was, was one of like, just the greatest moments like, wow, I put something in a video game. That was pretty amazing.
0: That's super cool. That's awesome. Well, you know, being as, uh, you know, that you kind of like, you know, saw a poster on the wall and started that way. Um, uh, and, and maybe other than listening to that, you know, voice in the back of your head that says, maybe I should, you know, kind of go for that. Is there any other advice that you could kind of give people for getting into the the game industry?
1: Sure. Well, so I've been almost in the industry, I'm 18, 19 years now, and a lot has happened just even in terms of traditional education. Um, so even here in St. Louis, we have game development programs that are, are growing. Um, I'm personally connected with a, a school in St. Louis called Maryville University, where I've helped them grow a a game design concentration that has uh, been built based on my experience of using, you know, creative talent and leveraging that into making your own games. So present day, there are traditional paths of going through four year education to get a degree in one of the many fields that contribute to games, whether it's art or programming or even, you know, writing and narrative techniques, um, production and so forth. Um, But what I always advise anybody that's interested is, you know, play games, study what you like, and then go out and just start making something yourself. Um, Tools like Unity 3D, tools like Unreal, um, tools like Game Maker, you know, these are free to download. And there's a wealth of information online, videos and tutorials and other things um, that can help you experiment and just kind of test and and see, um, you know, how your ideas can kind of come to light. So. Um, you know, if you're not quite at that stage where, you know, traditional, you know, uh, higher ed works for you, or let's say you're, you know, you love games and you're still in high school, you can just kind of get out on the, the net and go pull some of these engines down and just start experimenting just to, to get a taste.
0: That's really cool. Well, and after you've been, you know, kind of developing games for a long time, I'm sure obviously, you know, maybe you, uh, I, I don't know if you keep a book of ideas. I don't know if it's like a show where you have like, you know, the Bible and you look through and like, oh, oh, we did that or, oh, this was a good idea. But maybe we should rehash it. But uh, is there any, you know, uh, way you can describe like how you approach your projects and maybe like where you draw inspiration from?
1: Sure. So, um like many in the industry, we probably get inspiration from the games that we've loved playing, you know, over these many years. Um, you know, I was born in the '80s when, you know, Atari was around and Nintendo had been formed, so I have a pretty deep, you know, kind of personal experience that informs, you know, some of the different mechanics or styles of games that we like to create. Um, but additionally, our company at Graphite Lab does do a lot of work for higher development as well. Meaning, companies will come to us and say, "We've got this great brand. We'd love to." you know, bring it to the app store or to the Nintendo switch or to the Oculus. Uh, and they, they start there and just say, what would you guys do? Um, so, you know, that's another case where we draw from those inspirations, but we may apply it to a brand like transformers or to a brand like, um, Craig of the Creek, uh, with cartoon network. We did some, some games for them recently. Um, so it kind of can come from both angles. Obviously if we're making something original, you know, it's on us to come up with what those mechanics are. But if we're connecting to a brand that people already love, you know, there's certain things that I'm just not allowed to do with Optimus Prime, uh, you know, to keep it on brand. So sometimes that you might reclassify it not as inspiration, but guidelines. Um, but those can give us a head start in coming up with a great game experience.
0: That's awesome. Okay, and uh, you've talked a couple times about you know kind of like growing up in the eighties and like you know like memory of like games and stuff like that. Uh, it, it's it sparked my interest. Now I wonder like you know what are some of those memories for you of games because like I definitely have some too. Big up eighties kids playing Nintendo and stuff. You know, yeah, I I, I feel like uh, there's plenty of those memories that come to my mind. But yeah, what's something that that kind of really sparks for you?
1: Uh, probably the one that was the most impactful was the original Legend of Zelda on the NES. Um, you know, it's been re-released so many times. I think even present day, you can download it on the Switch just to experience that very first one. Um, and obviously Legend of Zelda is a massive franchise that's had multiple releases. Um, but that very first one, I was maybe six or seven. Um, and it was kind of complicated. Like it, there wasn't the tutorialization and instruction that there is today. Like you kind of had to go figure things out for yourself. And as like a six or seven year old kid, like that was pretty daunting, um, but also a lot of fun. So I remember getting like that, going through that first labyrinth, getting that first, you know, Triforce and feeling like absolutely exhausted. Like, Oh my God, that was like tough. Um, But, but man, that was, probably one of those memories that like stuck with me and said i want to keep doing this forever you know i want to create these experiences for other people forever
0: that's awesome uh i I feel like i'm in um you know a place where uh you know now i reflect on those games and i want to pass that on to like my kids too because uh, I feel like, you know, making memories with video games, I know, obviously, you know, sometimes when we were kids, our parents would look at that and be like, oh, they're just playing a bunch of video games. But now I feel like it's a totally different connection to it. And it's uh, and it, it is it's very unique and very cool. But I, I will say that I wasn't On that side, specifically, specifically with my parents, always looking at like, oh, why are you playing video games? My dad would play with me and like, actually, he would stay up a lot later and he would actually he would play till like four in the morning and then leave it on pause for me to pick up where he left off. So anyway, I have have very good memories about like, yeah, uh, playing games, uh, the original Batman uh, and the, the music, how indelibly implanted it is in my, you know, memory, uh, you know, everything from obviously the original Mario, but definitely Zelda, Batman, uh, sure. music is, is just a, a huge part of it too. So that's also, that's, that's neat to hear about that, you know, moving on to like, you know, I guess, uh, your lessons and things that you've learned over time, um, you know, is there anything that you can maybe, uh, as you have these, you know, uh, client relationships with, uh, studios and you know these partnerships what can you say about client relationships that you've learned through your experiences
1: oh man there's probably i'm sure there's probably a hundred lessons right you probably have some of your own some of them you can articulate quite quickly and some are just like kind of buried in instinct you know or 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 kind of developed i guess from instinct into just practice but um you know one thing and we, we have this philosophy at graphite as a whole but um you know, getting a project, getting an opportunity, getting a chance to work with, say, like Cartoon Network. You know, we was used to really kind of pine for those opportunities and, and really, you know, sell pretty hard to try and get those. Um, and then we'd get it and we'd work really hard at it. And then it just kind of seemed like, oh, well, that was done. And we changed our philosophy a couple of years ago to think like, when we're considering client relationships, don't think of like the first project as the finish line. Uh, like, oh, we got to get this thing released and then we're done we changed our philosophy to look at the third project as the finish line that way we're when we get that first project when we launch that first game for a company like cartoon you know that's like kind of the starting point right that's the first act of our story and we want to go on and get the second and the third because on that second one on that third one that's really where we can build our internal efficiencies and plainly speaking from a business perspective that's where our real profit comes from because we're more efficient we understand the client's needs and some of their, you know, different quirks here and there. So by that third project, that's really where both graphite and the partner can truly benefit. We do a better job. We can do it for a more optimized cost structure. um, And and we ultimately benefit from it financially as well, just because we're, we're wasting less time trying to figure out the experience. Um, So that's one of the biggest things that shifted for us on the, the work for hire side and trying to get new projects is to, to think of every potential relationship as like a three project deal.
0: Yeah, um, that that's good to know, especially when thinking about billing and fee structure. And obviously, you know, like uh, at the end of the day, obviously this is fun, uh, but you want to make sure that you can make money and thrive as an agency. Um, how do you guys charge for your projects to these clients? Is this something where, uh, you know, you build like a big project budget, ongoing retainers? Like, yeah, what's sort of the structure that you guys use?
1: So some of both, um, it it always, hasn't always been this way. Some of this is quite new. Um, but when we first started as a game development studio, it was build out a scope doc, figure out most of the features, take a wild guess at how long those are going to take, usually guess wrong, uh, you know, and then, you know, give some, you know, kind of big price tag for it. Let's just say a hundred bucks to make a game. And then by, you know, That last month, you know, you've got maybe $10, $12 left of that budget and you really kind of start kind of uh, getting anxious and saying, oh, you know, we've got to hurry this thing up. You know, we've got to let's not fix these bugs. You know, we got to at least make a couple of bucks to feed the team kind of thing. Um, And so for the first maybe 10 years of Graphite Labs existence, including the previous company that we founded before Graphite, that's kind of how we worked is we do our best to kind of make those guesses. So, with that kind of previous lesson in mind, if we made three games, we'd get better at kind of quoting the third game because we knew kind of what it took to do game one and two. Present day, though, we do things a little bit differently. There's more value now in getting a game out early because you can use data to really assess how the game's performing, and you have you don't have to guess as much. You can use complicated analytics suites to see how your games are, you know, gamers are moving through your games. And long story short we can release faster and then support over a longer period of time versus trying to just guess and bundle everything up in that first release. So present day, it might look like, you know, we still do a little bit of that guessing to figure out what our first release has to look like. And we'll put a single price on that effort, right? Uh, An initial budget. But then we'll follow up with sometimes three, six, 12 months of support where we are changing the game, improving the game. And sometimes that support is actually a bigger budget than the initial development. Um, so it's really evolved how we, uh, how we you know, price things initially and how our team plans to, you know, support the game long term. Um, so those support contracts are a big part of our revenue now. Um,
0: yeah. yeah. I, knowing that you are doing that kind of ongoing support and, you know, working with these, you know, kind of like game uh, or these, you know, companies, intimately you know in, in the release of these games where are maybe some of the um where are you working with them in like you know the revenue chain are they actually kind of selling and charging for the game and then just paying you know for your service secondarily do they kind of front load that i'm just curious is like uh yeah how that how that actually works Are do, do they get that funded and then basically make money on the back end with all the sales and is that the only way it works
1: uh so you've got it pretty close to correct it's not always the it doesn't always work that way but how we frequently work is we will assign again just using a fictitious budget let's just say let's say we got a thousand dollars this time we got a nice upgrade from the hundred bucks (laughs) Um, but let's say the first version of that game is just a prototype and we might say okay for that prototype we'll take a tenth of that budget and and that's what we get paid when we we clear that prototype approval um, and then we do, you know, uh, another couple of features. So it's kind of milestone based. Um, and that's kind of how we phrase it, at least within our world and industry, is we we set those milestones when we sign the contract. Prototype here, vertical slice there, alpha milestone here, release there. And we just take a portion of the budget and say, okay, based on how much time we think it'll require or the staff uh, contributions at the time, let's put a hundred bucks here and put 200 there. and Five on the very end, or something like that.
0: Yeah. Um, that's a great lesson, though, like breaking down that project and like trying to understand its parts and pieces a little more intimately so that you can sort of at least, you know, attempt to budget better for the different areas in which you're going to appropriate yeah. that to. I think that is that's super, super helpful. And uh, and I definitely know how that sounds different than obviously. Yeah. When you approached it at the beginning, it was like, hey, let's put a big budget here and uh, and hope and pray for the best. And I right. certainly yeah, I, I I know how that goes on the other end of it. Well, it, it sounds like we had a conversation directly before we actually started talking and getting into the meat of the podcast, and it was about you guys having uh, potentially one of your own releases coming up. and uh, And my question to you was actually really going to be, uh, "Do you ever put out your own video games?" and uh, And you were like, "Funny you say that." Uh, and so I'll I'll let you, uh, yeah, give the details.
1: It. Yeah, very. It's a just a happy coincidence here that. Um, we we do a lot of work for hire for others, as you mentioned. I mean, these are you know everyone from Disney to you know Nickelodeon to Atari, um, and uh, incidentally enough, this morning our next original property was announced uh, via IGN um, that Atari uh, has actually agreed to publish an original title crafted you know right here in St. Louis uh, from Graphite Lab and our partners Joystick Games um, and. And this game, uh, it's called Combineera, Um, And literally just a couple hours ago, IGN posted uh, the announcement from Atari. Um, and it's an absolutely like kind of uh, just, you know, pinch me moment because in all of our experience, while we have released some of our own original games in years past, we've never had the support, attention or commitment from a publisher. And a publisher's role in this whole experience, you know, typically is to help with the marketing the press the promotion the outreach which is going on right now um but it's you know not always the case that a publisher will invest in the development of a game uh like atari has here so as a as a budding entrepreneur and uh you know a game developer to have someone from the outside invest in in game development right here in st louis to me is very fulfilling um
0: that's wonderful congrats really honestly that that is super cool it's it's cool for you guys the company and it's also as you mentioned you know for you know st louis it's cool for the city too we do we want you know more uh, as i joke that we're like oh yeah the total the hub of you know missouri of all video game development i would love for our city to obviously grow their presence i'm sure you even more so so i mean that is wonderful that's great to hear thanks yeah. But like, you know, this is a big moment. You've reached this moment to where now obviously you're getting, you know, that kind of investment, um, you know, and, and that is that is wonderful. But are there, you know, maybe any, you know, pointers are experiences you can give to like, you know, getting to maybe not only that point, but getting to the point and obviously working for brands like, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, these organizations like Disney, Nickelodeon, like, you know, those are huge names. So, yeah, any any kind of pointers you can give for getting to that point well you know i
1: have i've been doing this a little while and we built some of those relationships over time but um, you know really it was i guess kind of two parts but a lot of it was just persistence of reaching out to those organizations with ideas um you know you have to be in our experience proactive and reaching out to them saying here's what we'd like to do with this property or Here's an idea we have. Are you interested Um, to sit back and say, oh, they'll find us is not going to happen in our experience. Um, Even when we had a good portfolio of previous, let's say, mass market kids product, we worked with Disney and Nickelodeon and and Hasbro, uh, you know, frequently, you know, when it came time to think about a new platform or a new brand or a new property, we always had to be proactive and going out and letting them know we're interested, letting them know we're available letting them know we had new experience that, you know, they may want to take advantage of. So no matter what success we have or or anything else, it's always a proactive obligation on our part to reach out to these groups and make sure that we're, we're kind of pushing that forward.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, and with that, you know, with that sort of outreach is that, um, really just kind of like, here's the games that we're working on, here's things that we're doing, or is it actually kind of bringing them opportunities?
1: Uh, It can be some of both. Yeah. So um, yeah, some of both. Um, So there's been a few, like for this particular one uh, that we're, you know, announcing today, this was a concept that, um, you know, was kind of conceived here in St. Louis. Um, We said, Hey, graphite kind of took this concept under its wing and said, Hey, we think this really has a shot at being published. And the, the, the concept creators, they go by the handle joystick games, uh, one part of that kind of joystick games label was an employee of Graphite Lab at the time. And they were just coming up with concepts during these game jams or these kind of like, you probably know hackathons, things like that. I saw this and I said, I think this has potential. Let's kind of bring this to some of our partners. And so we actually went to uh, Atari and said, I, you got to look at this thing. You got to look at this game. We think it has a lot of Atari DNA in it. It's very arcade-like. It's got this kind of minimalist aesthetic. Um, what do you think? Um, so we were proactive in reaching out to them and saying, we think this is a good fit for Atari. What do you say?
0: Uh, it's a good note for kind of making it happen. You know, just as much as obviously this was, you know, nice and wonderful for them to to make the investment. Obviously, yeah. you know, it was, it was on you to make that happen. And that is, that's cool sure. that that came to fruition. Other than this, are there other big breaks that you can feel like, you know, that you're like, ooh, wow, when this hit, it was, it was a big deal. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but they're not going to sound like very cool Um, when we were first starting our company um, after the tycoon stuff, you know, kind of didn't pan out very well. um, We had an opportunity to work with Nickelodeon, but it wasn't on any like cool Nick cartoons that we would have, you know, been, you know, watching ourselves at the time or anything. Uh, It was actually with some of their junior brands. So the first big break we got was developing Dora the Explorer for the Game Boy Advance. Which, you know, even when we got the opportunity, we were like, seriously, we're going to make like Dora games? Like, we're all like 22, 23-year-old guys playing Call of Duty and like God of War. Like, why would they trust us with this, you know, five-year-old kid's brand? Um, None of us even had kids at the time. Like, it was a very odd kind of combo. Um, But getting that game, and we didn't know. Like, Dora was like a billion-dollar brand at the time. Like, we were basically being given a golden key. And um, so we're like, all right, we'll make this thing. And, uh, in making that, they're like, you guys did such a great job. Here's another brand and another brand. And we ended up doing like, gosh, like seven or eight from the Nick junior line. And these things were like crushing hundreds of thousands of copies. Um, one of the Dora games was our first million unit seller. Like it was kind of ridiculous. So I have a lot to, to thank Dora the Explorer for in my career. Um, and, uh, and we ended up then of course, a lot of us having kids and seeing them, play those games was, was way more fulfilling and gave it a higher purpose. But, um, but yeah, I mean, getting those projects was a pretty big break for us. I mean, it allowed us to grow our team, um, develop our own technology, and start to develop a real niche and skill set for the, you know making licensed properties and mass market games.
0: Yeah, definitely. You never thought you would adore that as much as you did. Sorry, I have to have one bad pun per episode. That's true. That's, actually, that's that's rule. But that is great, and yeah, what a weird thing to make it happen. But I mean, still, you're right. At uh, you know, at when that happened, and you know the the prominence of that show, and obviously the amount of kids that were you know involved in it, watched it. Uh, I'm sure that was it was a big opportunity. Um, that, that's really cool for, for ones that maybe you haven't done yet, but you just have this, you know, just burning desire to hopefully, you know, work with or work for, uh, someday. Yeah. Who's like your white whale?
1: Oh man. Um, you know, there's an old franchise. You might remember this one. It was an early NES release, uh, called kid Icarus. Oh yeah. All right. So kid Icarus was made by the same team that made Metroid, Metroid, obviously massive brand. Kid Icarus is pretty well known by by gamers of our age and from our era. Um, and it's been remade or kind of reimagined once or twice, but I, I feel like it hasn't really been given the the respect that that kind of like classic mythology can kind of draw out. Um, so, uh, you know, I've always thought Kid Icarus deserves a, another shot from a, an external indie team that can come at it with kind of this, like, you know, hopeful nostalgia and, uh, and kind of see it... Um, you know, possibly in a different light, but um maybe someday.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's maybe even a really good time. The Marvel Universe, Eternals, uh, Icarus, you know, yeah, there. Maybe we're calling it out into the ether. And so hopefully something will, will actually come of it. But that is cool. It, it's so funny you mentioned those games. I was thinking about, do you remember Adventure Island? The, oh, yeah. 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 Hudson. Yeah. Yeah, and the wacky way his feet moved and stuff in the game. And uh and then yeah, anyway, just what a weird game, but I loved that game. <laughs> it's kinda slippy, kinda slippery on the feet, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. You wouldn't so, think that would be the terrain of the island, but it apparently was.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's slipping all around on the grass. Got a skateboard, put on a helmet, do his little extra jumps. Yeah. Yeah, totally.
0: That's a good yeah. one.
1: I like that. That that'd be a great one.
0: Yeah, I did. For some reason, it struck me the other day. I was like, man, I really want to play that. So, Mm -hmm. uh, well, where do you see gaming heading in the future? Like, um, I I know that, yeah, you had mentioned Oculus. Obviously that touches on VR. Um, and then, uh, you've done augmented reality stuff. Uh, I know you haven't been able to kind of speak to that, but yeah, as, as far as your exposure, obviously more deeply within the game, uh, you know, realm, Well, you know, yeah. Where where do you see things going?
1: Well, so for the last couple of years, um, you know, games haven't changed so much on the front end as they have on the back end. Like the integration of data and complicated analytics and general like data analysis has changed the way games get designed in the last ten years. Um, But thinking about it more on the front end or in terms of mechanics, and like to get an evolution there, you almost need the mechanics to change, the inputs to change. So think back like what ten years ago, maybe twelve, when the Nintendo Wii came out, motion controls changed things up for quite a while. You had games like you know Wii Sports that took bowling and made it just a little bit more fun for a while, and then you got Guitar Hero with all of its apparatus and stuff connected, and then the Kinect and PlayStation Move, and you saw this kind of like ripple effect for you know a good decade of you know motion-enabled games going around for a while. Um, and you know if all we do is just kind of make new new controller, like new Dual Shock 12 or whatever. Like it's not really gonna change how gamers think about the games. It's just gonna be more buttons and controllers. So there's still be some like new stuff on the front end, but it's just gonna be like, you know, more game ideas. If we want an evolution, I think the inputs, uh, you know, will have to change. And that's what's got me kind of excited about Oculus and, and VR right now. Um, and VR has been around for a while, but what makes Oculus interesting is, you know, they had a pretty massive holiday season. Um, you know, the numbers aren't posted, but from kind of some, some simple assessments on, you know, from, I guess, a couple of different angles, it looks like they had a pretty good Christmas. Um, and that might mean that, you know, the Oculus store, the Oculus attention and the, the gamers on Oculus will grow over this year. So that's something I've got my eye on that I think as, as VR becomes a little bit more mainstream, as we start to have more households with a VR headset, you know, in them via Oculus, um, that's, that's pretty exciting. And then putting on the headset and using their controllers is a different way to play, right? It feels different than buttons and joysticks. Um, so that's gotten me pretty excited. Um, I think it will add to the industry. I don't think it's going to like take over and, you know, it's not going to pull away the PS5 crowd to go play on Oculus every day or anything, but it'll add to it. in a, I think a creative way that'll get gamers thinking about games in a different way. So, um, yeah. That and you see a lot of energy around the blockchain discussion and and things like that, which, again, I think it might add to I don't think it's going to completely consume or or radicalize how we, you know, how we play games, but it'll add
0: to it for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, As an Oculus fan myself, I definitely agree with like, you know, it uh, yeah, maybe not necessarily taking away from that core group of like Xbox and like PS5, you know, kind of users. Um, but at the same time, I definitely see it augmenting it, and and mm-hmm. I completely agree on that front. It, I I myself love it because uh, the interaction style is different. I, I you know I never got uh, amazingly good at first person shooters, uh, yeah. but I can absolutely uh, you know do really well in Superhot. <laughs> but I feel oh, like yeah and uh and and i'm like oh this game is awesome it feels really rewarding to play and it's oh just so immersive so yeah Ooh. i am i am definitely i'm in uh for all the oculus games and the things they come up with for it uh i know that even yeah super Hot started on like yeah psvr and like you know just had a a, a, a kind of 2d setting as well um but anyway really looking forward to all the stuff that occurs there and certainly yeah uh blockchain games that is uh fascinating. I see him popping up all over the place sure. uh, and everybody's like, oh, you should totally play everybody. Like, I feel like, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see how those things evolve. One thing that I've learned through my history is, you know, it's quick for something to kind of catch attention, um, but it takes a long time to really like, you know, kind of evolve through those different phases. Um, I, I remember reading articles, you know, goodness, in like 2002 and three saying VR takeover is right around the corner. Um, So I've I've always been a little bit more like, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but when somebody asks me, you know, how long do you think it'll take for XYZ system to take over? And it it takes a pretty long time. Like, look at the iPhone coming out to try and actually really, you know, make cell phones, you know, put cell phones in everybody's pocket. You know, BlackBerry had been making good ground prior to that. But, you know, it took a while for just basically everybody to have a touchscreen smartphone. Um, So, you know, it it takes, it takes time. I mean, these things don't happen overnight. So whether it's VR blockchain gaming or the next thing after that, it, it takes a little while for those to really kind of reach through and kind of take over as a new
0: normal. For sure. Um, all right, well now I have to hit you with uh, the, the to question. Uh, sure. yeah. And, uh, and really just, uh, want to figure out what, um, what is the best game you've played in the last year? oh man the best game i've played in the last year everything Uh, hinges on this (laughs)
1: my my entire like brain is just shuffling through every single store page or every single my steam (laughs) library I'm like oh did i play that this year um you know something that kind of surprised me this year was uh, a it's not even a new release uh but a a game called forager Hmm. um forager you can play it on any console and probably pc too but um, you know imagine like a kind of a, a crafting kind of survival game but the the landscape is in these really small like almost like we'll call them like lego brick sized chunks um maybe a little bit bigger than a lego brick but it's a very like uh, it's a very visually cute it's very pixelated you know it's got that old school pixel aesthetic um it, it's very you know audibly it's very quirky and charming uh, but essentially you craft just like you would in minecraft chop down a tree get the logs turn the logs into a better you know pickaxe and and away you go but um if you think of, if you call it like a minimalist uh crafting and survival game it's a pretty good uh kind of uh, description of it and it was recommended to me and like oh yeah it's a pretty cool game and i i downloaded it on game pass and after playing it for like 45 minutes i'm like maybe i am kind of into this thing and, and i played it for quite a while um but uh yeah just very kind of casual almost kind of gets into a bit of like an idle gameplay once you get far enough along it's just like i gotta go check my furnace and make sure my iron is ready and you know that kind of thing so
0: uh, a, a sims oriented uh, you know kind of yeah i, got, I yeah. gotta I got do the thing in the game oh that's yeah,
1: cool. kind of your daily chores of you know foraging and crafting and other stuff like that yeah it's pretty that- good one
0: That sounds great. Awesome. Well, um, Matt, I, I have to tell you, you know, uh, number one, I feel like all the questions you answered would be really helpful for people who are interested in like, you know, getting into this universe, uh, of, you know, kind of games game development. And, uh, and certainly I want to tell you congratulations on all the success you've had, certainly on, uh, the new news with Atari. That is wonderful. Really happy to hear that for you guys. And, uh, and definitely it was good to have you on and like do this, uh, this podcast with you. So, uh, I, I really want to say, you know, thank you for joining us and uh, and really. Uh, Good luck for all the things that may come in the future here. Awesome. Thanks so much. Definitely. Have a good one.